Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Can we let the choir know as they're walking out how great of a job they did this morning leading us? Along with our worship team this morning, we're blessed uh, just to be led uh, by the people we are led by every week, and we appreciate all that they do. And uh, also, just a little commercial here, if you are interested in joining the choir, all right, the choir sings every week in the 9 o'clock service, and you don't have to attend that service in order to be in the choir. A lot of folks will go sing in the choir, and then they'll dismiss to Bible Connect groups. So I want to encourage you to see Bruce if you are interested in being part of our choir. It's a great ministry. All right, so during the Christmas season, what we've been doing is, as a church is we've been celebrating uh, the four gifts uh, traditionally celebrated in the season of Advent uh, that Jesus brings into the world, all right, his hope, his peace, his love, and this morning we are uh, celebrating his joy. If I was to ask you to describe Christmas and just use one word to do it, many of you may choose that word, joy, all right, we talk a lot about joy at this time of year. Uh, we sing about it. One of the most common, most popular Christmas carols is uh, joy to the what? World, right? Joy to the world. Uh, we talk a lot about joy at Christmas time, and, and we can think about a lot of things to be joyful about, hopefully. All right, let's do a little exercise right now. All right, I want you to think of one word that describes something in your life that truly brings you joy. All right, maybe somebody's name, maybe something you own, maybe an experience that you had one thing, all right? I want you to think of that one thing. And I'm going to ask you in a second to say that thing out loud. Now, here's the rule. No one's allowed to say the answer that we all know is the right answer, all right? That's Jesus, okay? So this isn't a time for you to look like super spiritual around the people that you're sitting around, try to be more spiritual than they are. All right, we know Jesus is at the top of the list. We know that, all right? But I want you to think about something else, one word that describes something in your life that brings you joy, that brings a smile to your face. I'm going to count to three, and then all of us are going to say that one thing out loud. All right, you got it? All right, one, two, three. Okay, that was a lot. That was a lot. I think I heard, I think I heard somebody say my wife in there. Who was that? My wife. All right, a couple guys. I didn't see, I didn't hear anybody say my husband. I didn't hear that anybody <laughs> say that answer. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, whatever it is that brings you joy. Let's just celebrate that for a moment. Isn't it awesome that we have a God who's so good and His goodness gives us things like that we just shared um, to, uh, to, to experience joy about, all right? Different things, relationships, experiences that bring joy to our hearts, that bring a smile to our face, all right? So uh, that's a great thing to celebrate. But now let's do a downer exercise, all right? I, wanna, I want you to think about something um, in your life that robs you of joy, all right? That sucks the joy out of your life, right? That may be easier for you. Think about it's someone or some experience that robs you of the joy in your life. And I'm going to count to three. And, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, all right? We're not going to do that. You may say somebody's name. They may be sitting next to you or near you. That, that'd just be awkward. We don't want to do that. But it is true, isn't it, that there are things in life that can bring a level of joy to our life. And there are, that can bring a smile to our face. And there are things in life that can steal joy. That can rob us of joy. But what if I was to tell you this morning that one of the great benefits and blessings that it is to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be in Christ, is that we have a divine, supernatural joy that's gifted to us in Christ that's not based on any circumstance. And it can be biblically defined like this, as a deep, unshakable gladness of the soul that can endure any situation, that can endure any circumstance. It's an inward delight that comes from God. An inward delight that can override and underwrite any human emotion across the human emotion spectrum. 
A joy that, as author Tim Keller writes about that I read this week, gives a buoyancy to the soul of a believer as we walk and live our life in this broken world that we live in. This is the kind of divine joy that Jesus brings into the world. It's the kind of joy that the angels were celebrating on the night that Jesus was born. And this is part of the traditional Christmas story, and I'll read it from, for you. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4, so you don't have to turn here. I'm going to read it for you. All right, And I want to encourage you just real quick right here. This is Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 14 is a great passage uh, to read for uh, Christmas time. 1 through 14 kind of gives you the whole scope of the Christmas story. I want to encourage you this week. You're going to be gathering together with friends, family, at those main gatherings you have. If nobody does this, I'm going to encourage you to be the person who takes out your Bible and says, Hey, hold on a second. If, if you ought to allow me, I just want to read something from Luke chapter 2. But the, what we're really celebrating in our Christmas time, you're like, well, what if I got some family members who don't know Jesus, right? Uh, it's okay. It's a really good thing for them to hear. And they're celebrating Christmas, Christmas. So uh, they probably would appreciate someone uh, bringing out the Bible and reading that. And it could be a great opportunity for you uh, to point them to Jesus. But let's, let's read about the kind of joy that's being celebrated the night that Jesus is born. This is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right? The angels said what? Fear not. There they are scared in the presence of this majestic being. Fear not. I bring you good news of great what? Let's try that again. Good news of great joy. joy. So at Christmas time, what we're celebrating is how Jesus, the light of the world, brings into this dark world real joy. A deep gladness of the soul. All right, so what we're going to do, like we've done over these last few weeks with each of these gifts, is we're going to talk about the gift for a second, then we're going to go over to uh, one of the epistles, one of Paul's letters, and we're going to let Paul unpack for us some things about this specific gift. Just like we've done hope, just like we've done with peace. This is a series could almost be called Christmas According to Paul, because we're you know, staying in the book of uh, Romans and Philippians for each of these gifts. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, but before we stand and read, I want to challenge us, I want to encourage us to, to approach this passage with humility this morning. Because we're going to study a passage where Paul's going to take the word joy and he's going to turn it into a verb and he's going to tell us to rejoice. He's going to tell us as believers to rejoice. And so as we prepare to read this passage, as we prepare to read scripture that's able to change us, that's able to transform us, I want us to answer this question honestly about our life this morning and be prepared to answer it. Am I a rejoicer? Is my soul growing and, and learning to be glad in God? Well, my prayer is this morning is that God's word would shape us this morning in a real way to be a joy-filled people. I'm not talking about happy, clappy, manufactured, veneer, fake kind of joy, pull myself up by the bootstraps and pretend like everything's okay. I'm talking about a people who demonstrate a spirit-empowered, gospel-centered, gospel-rooted, gospel-gritty, Jesus-reflecting joy in our life. So stand with your Bibles open as I read 
Philippians chapter 4, just two verses this morning. Rejoice in the Lord, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're completely dependent on your spirit this morning to move in our midst. Lord, we were completely dependent on you on the day we were born again for our salvation. And we continue to be dependent on you for all of eternity right now in this life for our sanctification and for our spiritual development. And we know that the main sanctification tool that you use is your holy word. And so we pray this morning that we would put our lives under it. Lord, that you would use it to conform us more to the image of your Son for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's unpack these two verses into four categories this morning concerning the joy of the Lord. First thing we see in this text that I want you to notice is the command of joy. Notice the phrasing in this verse. It's not a suggestion. God gives a very clear command to rejoice in the Lord. Now, that may not feel like a command, right? You're like, command, all right, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. All right, that shall not uh, lie. Like those, those feel like commands. Can God really command us to rejoice? Yes. That's exactly what he's doing right here. All right, we've studied this, we studied this passage last week. All right, and if you follow the logic of the entire passage, all right, the whole paragraph, right, you, you understand that it's commanding us to rejoice and promising us peace. It's commanding us to rejoice. And it's promising us peace. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And it says pray with thanksgiving. And the result is what? A peace that surpasses all understanding. That is a promise. He doesn't command us in this passage to be peace-filled. All right? But we are commanded to be joyful. So reaching back to last week, if you're a person who struggles with anxiety, who who struggles with, uh, you know, a lack of peace, who has a restless mind, what you have to do is, in this passage, you need to trace that upstream and ask the question, all right, I'm a restless person, all right, let me ask this question, am I a person who rejoices in the Lord? Am I living out the command to rejoice in the Lord? That may be my issue. Am I a rejoicer? Am I a joy-filled person? Am I producing that fruit of the Spirit? Fruit, it indicates that, that there's something inside of me. The Holy Spirit's inside of me. And an indication He's inside of me is that I'm producing real fruit that I see laid out in Galatians chapter 5. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Right? So am I a person who's producing that fruit? Or am I someone who claims to know Jesus, who promises to send a Spirit to produce this fruit in our life? Am I someone who claims to know Jesus, but whose life is more marked by the opposite of that fruit of joy? Whose life is marked more by things like negativity or complaining, right? I don't know if you, I don't know, if you know this. Listen, but cynicism and criticism and negativity is not a fruit of the Spirit. Some of you are like, I know that. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's a spiritual gift, and I think I have it. I think I'm very good at that, Right? You know, so, hey, 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 somebody, hey, somebody's got to keep an eye on this place. Somebody's got to make sure everything's working right. Someone's got to nitpick and make sure every little thing's working right. Hey, who else is going to do that? And then negatively, critically give a report on that, make sure somebody's telling you about it. Did you know? And that's, it's very common in churches. Negativity, criticism that, that surfaces all the time. Since the dawn of the church age, that's been an issue in the church. And there are just some people who can't seem to function without something to gripe about. 
There's some people who, it's like they can't survive. They can't make it through the day without something to look at, to fix, to criticize, uh, uh, something about to, to be negative, to get, give a critical commentary about. And what's really confusing is sometimes people will try to trick themselves into thinking that their critical commentary is somehow them practicing some kind of spiritual gift of criticism. If that marks your life, that's no spiritual gift. You're just an unpleasant person. That's not something in your life to be celebrated. That's something to be repented of. This is a biblical command to be taken seriously. God commands us to rejoice in the Lord. And just in case you didn't get it the first time, again, I will say rejoice. Now, I want you to notice two things about this command. First thing I want you to notice is that word always. When does it say to rejoice? Always. When does it say to rejoice? Always. In good seasons and in bad seasons. In beautiful seasons and in ugly seasons. Now, some of you are in some ugly seasons. You're in an ugly season right now. It's difficult. And, and I know, I want you to know that, that I'm not just, I'm, I'm not taking this lightly as I preach this to you this morning. I know that, and in fact, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not unaware that maybe as I preach it, some of you are, are looking up at me going, you know, pastor, you know, that's easy. For, you're supposed to say what you're saying right now. You're a pastor, Right? You're supposed to say these things that you're saying about rejoicing in the Lord because you're a pastor. And besides that, you know, what do you know about suffering? Right? Your family looks nice, right? You know, you, with your job, you work one day a week as a pastor, right? Can't be that hard. You know, get up there, talk about a couple verses, right? By the way, if you think that, you're not alone, all right? You're not alone. Uh, my son, Max, he, he turned eight today. Today's his birthday. That's right. We're going to celebrate today in some different ways. And then tomorrow night, got all the family coming over for a birthday party that he's orchestrated. He came up with a plan, and he wanted it to be a Jaws theme. All right, Jaws. I don't know where that came from. He's never even seen the movie, but he wants it to be a Jaws theme. <laughs> so my wife's getting it all decorated. It's going to be a strange night. It's all de- the house is all decorated in Christmas, and in the middle of that, we're going to have a Jaws birthday party. All right? The other day, we were riding down the road. True story. And he said, Dad, what, what's been your favorite job that you've ever had? And I said, well, I said, I had some different jobs in, in high school and in college, you know, worked at the post office for a little bit. I helped deliver furniture here in Jacksonville for a little bit in college. Uh, you know, I had some different, different jobs. And, but my first full-time job I had, the only full-time job I've ever had would be ministry, would be a pastor. So I guess I would have to say being a pastor. That's probably been my, my favorite job. And he said, you mean like a pastor at our church? I said, yeah. He said, that's your job? He said, you work there? I said, yeah, how, how, else do you, how else do you think that we have a house and we, we provide food for y'all and, you know, provide for the family? He said, I thought that was all coming from mom cutting people's hair on Thursdays. I said, so you think I just go to the church each day and like just what I do on Sunday, it's just like, kind of like a hobby, like I just do that for fun? He said, yeah, that's exactly what I thought you did. So, so you may not... It, your view of what a pastor does, it may not be that extreme, but you may be thinking, what do you know about... You may genuinely be thinking, what do you know about real struggle? What do you know about real difficulty? And I'd say this, I know what it means to struggle. I know what it means to, to feel confused. I know what it means to feel angry. I know what it feels like to be mistreated. I know what it feels like to feel like life's unfair. I know what it feels like to grieve. I know what it feels like to feel disappointed. 
But I want you to know this, even with that said, I'm acknowledging right now that some of you are going through such difficulty right now. In a way, you're going through something that I can't relate with. You're, you may be going through something, and it very well may be that it's something I can't relate with, that I acknowledge that right now. Right? I don't want you to mis- misunderstand me. And it really genuinely may be difficult to hear this being preached by somebody who's young, who doesn't have as much life experience as you, who maybe you feel like I can't relate to where you're at. But I want you to know this. No, no matter your circumstances this morning, no matter how difficult it is, the reason why I can stand here and I can preach this command to you with conviction and with confidence is because it's not my command. It's God's command. And although I can't understand what you're going through, I promise you He can in fact, Jesus knows your circumstances, your bad circumstances. He knows them better than you know them. And he says, the one who knows what you're going through and knows exactly what he's doing in your life through those bad circumstances, this is his command. And through his authoritative word says to you in your bad circumstances, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice always. Second phrase to pay attention there in that command is in the Lord. And what are we to rejoice? To rejoice in the Lord. What I love about what Paul is saying is he isn't calling us to rejoice in our circumstances. He isn't, God's word is not calling us right here to just uh, pretend like everything's okay in our life. He's saying even though you're walking through circumstances that you may loathe, that you may hate, He's saying, in that moment, turn your attention where? To the Lord. Turn the attention of your heart to what is true about your life in the Lord, to things that are true about you in Jesus that are untouched and unchanged by your ever-changing circumstances. And he says, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, what does that look like? A couple verses prior to this command, he actually helps us. You know, they were going through a lot of difficulty in the church at Philippi. Gosh, Paul's writing this from my prison cell. He's going through his own issues. His own bad situations. And then he's writing this to a church in Philippi that's being torn apart by infighting, about negativity and people not being able to get along. And he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. And backing up a few verses, we kind of see what he's talking about there. In verse 3, what does he tell that church and what does he tell us? He reminds them that their name, he said, in the middle of all that, rejoice in the Lord. Remember this, that your name's been written down in the Lamb's book of life. That's what he says at the end of verse 3. So what does it look like for us to rejoice in the Lord? It's to rejoice that our name's been written down in that book. Did you, there's a record in heaven. And in, in, that, in that book, in the Lamb's book of life, it's, it's real. It's, it's in heaven. And in that book is written the names of anybody who has or anybody who ever will trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And to rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in the truth that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that your name is written down in that book. And to rejoice in the Lord means to continuously rejoice in what Jesus did and what he accomplished to get your name written down in that book. In other words, to rejoice in the gospel. On that night, just outside of Bethlehem, where Jesus has been born and he's laid in that manger, what did the angels say to the shepherds? Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great... I'm bringing you good news. Did you know the word gospel? It's just a Bible word that simply means good news. So anytime you see that word, it means good news. And rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in the gospel, the good news that a Savior has been born. 
And the good news that he didn't that he didn't stay forever in a manger. Christmas isn't about us getting fixated on the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus in the manger and just kind of imagining him there as a baby for forever and, and worshiping him that way. No, we rejoice that he put on flesh, that he's in that manger, but we rejoice ultimately in the fact that he didn't stay in that manger. He grew up and lived the perfect life we can't live and died a sacrificial death on the cross for us and atoned for our sins. And God raised him from the dead to prove that everything that he came to accomplish, he certainly did as the Son of God. And he delivers us from sin. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the gospel that we rejoice in. He's saying rejoice in that. Let me ask you this question this morning. When is the last time you rejoice? I got pumped up about the gospel, about the gospel work in your life. Like, when's the last time you rejoiced like, I'm saved? Like, yes! Like, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but I'm saved! Like, my name's written down in that book. Or let me ask you another question, Christ follower. Like, when's the last time you rejoiced, like, actually rejoiced that somebody else got saved? Like, you rejoiced, like, got pumped up. Like, yes! Like, sinner repented! Another name written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm not talking about last time you got pumped up about a football game. I'm not talking about getting pumped up like some of us got pumped up yesterday playing a silly game of flag football here at the church. Some of you get, I'm not talking about getting pumped up about somebody scoring a touchdown in a, in a Gator I want to talk about that. Uh, somebody, somebody scoring a touchdown in whatever your team, whatever you follow, whoever you root for. We know we, know we cheer for that. We know we rejoice like that for our team. But when's the last time you got pumped up about somebody's salvation? Did you know what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 7? He said, that every time a sinner repents, that every time that eternal heavenly pen of redemption writes another person's name down in the Lamb's book of life, that all of heaven explodes with rejoicing. I, now, I, I checked this week. I, I, I made sure that I was right on this. But I want you to know, there's no verse in the entire Bible that says that all of heaven rejoices every time your team scores a touchdown. That's it's not in there. There's no verse in Scripture that says all of heaven explodes with rejoicing when you get that promotion. There's nothing in Scripture that says all of heaven rejoices when you got that, that, that new car. No, it says there's joy in heaven when the gospel collides with the soul of a sinner. And as a believer, I'm commanded to never stop rejoicing in the gospel work I'm seeing in the lives of people around me, in the work that the gospel's done in my own life. To rejoice whenever I see another person whose name's been written down in that book, and to rejoice it in the Lord because of the love that Jesus poured out for me at Calvary, that my name's been written down as well. Circumstances change. That never changes. So how are you doing with this command? Are you rejoicing always in the Lord? That's God's will for your life. You say, well, I hear what you're saying, man, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Christ follower. I'm just, not, I'm just not naturally a joyful person. I just don't have a very joyful demeanor. I'm, I'm kind of like what you call a glass half empty kind of guy. Or a glass half empty kind of lady. I'm just not as maybe optimistic as other people's are, people are. But you know what this passage shows us? Is it shows us that joy is a command. It shows us joy is a command, not a personality type. Amen. Wow. Amen. We're commanded to joy, to, 
to rejoice in the Lord. Number two, the demonstration of joy. All right, so command of joy, the demonstration of joy. So what this passage shows us is that rejoicing is something that starts in the heart, right? It's something internal that we get to experience in our relationship with Christ, but it's something that should become visibly noticeable to people around us. We see that in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. All right, so when Paul says reasonableness right there, uh, he's talking about the outward working of this internal joy. All right, some of your Bible translations may say the word for reasonableness there may be translated in your translation as gentleness or forbearance or patience. All right, and, and what all of this looks like applied in our life is that even when we're treated unfairly, even when life doesn't feel fair, when mean things are said about me, when the pressures of life and the bad circumstances of life squeeze my life, that this is what that means, that as a believer, this is what we're learning to do. We're learning to not lose it. Amen. We're learning that we're not going to freak out. It's this idea of this deep, unshakable gladness of the soul that's rooted in the gospel and in my position in God as a, as a child of God whose name's been written down in the Lamb's book of life. Right? What reasonableness, what it looks like is that gladness in my heart sprouting up and becoming visible in different circumstances and situations in my life. And you know what's interesting is Christmas time presents a lot of opportunity for this reasonableness to be on display. Because <laughs> Christmas, we, we love it, right? But it can also get stressful. It can be a difficult time for people for many different reasons. Maybe you're like us and you got, you know, just a bunch of family stuff going on. Just some. Some, some light-hearted pressures, we'll call them. It sometimes can get a, a pretty seriously difficult. But just family stuff. Do any, maybe some of you are like me and Rebecca. We are blessed, and I mean this. We are blessed to have both sides of our family living in the greater Jacksonville area. Right? Grandparents, great-grandparents, cousins. That's good, right? But that also can get really busy around the holidays, right? Because you feel this obligation to get around to, to everybody's place and to get to different parties and to get to the gatherings. Anybody with me? Can anybody identify with that? Right? So it's a blessing, but it can get difficult. And sometimes those difficulties, it just gets really intense. Maybe if it's on Christmas Day, right? This will look a little different this year because Christmas is on uh, Sunday and we'll be here for a lot of the morning. But uh, on other, in other years, you know, when your kids are young, you know, some of you have to get out the door on Christmas morning to get to that first, that first gathering, maybe for brunch or for lunch. And you got the kids and you're, they're, they're cranky because they don't want to leave the house. They don't want to leave their toys that they just got. So they got bad attitudes and you're trying to get them in the car. And your wife's trying to get the casseroles out of the oven and into the car so you can get to the lunch on time. And, and the kids are complaining and, and you're trying to get sweaters on the kids because you got to take a big picture. And everybody's got to have the same sweater on, right? And they're complaining that it's itchy. You know, they don't want to wear it. It's hot. And you put the sweater on, right? It's Jesus' birthday. Put it on. <laughs> and you get in the car and you get to that. You're on your way to that first stop, and then they're in the back, and they brought a toy with them, and they're complaining about um, the toy that they got that they just were blessed with for Christmas, right? And there's a moment where you want to pull the car over to the side of the road and throw the toy out the window, right? And just lose your mind. But here it is. A mark of spiritual maturity is that some gentle forbearance should start kicking in. There should be something about my joy in the Lord that should be saying, no, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing in this. We're not going to do that. Right? I'm not going to get carried away in the, with this. I'm going to deal with this in the right way. Right? 
Then maybe you finally get to that first Christmas party, that first lunch, and it goes well. And then you're like, you feel the pressure of getting to the next one. And you're like, uh, looking at the watch, and you and your wife, you know, you have signals, like the time signals, like, you know, trying to tell them that it's time to leave, you know, and, and, and trying to do that, you know, discreetly and, and cryptically. And then finally, you, you get, you, we got to go. And then you, you, see the, you see the look on everybody's face, like the look of disappointment. They don't say anything. But it's like, really? Okay. I thought you spent Thanksgiving with them. And, and now you're, you know, okay, yeah. I thought you spent anything. Okay, now you're going to go there because you're going to get pregnant. Okay, it's fine. Right? And you, anyway, you, you don't try to think about that too much. And you leave and you get to the next place. By the way, I'm not just airing out my personal laundry right now. All right? I promise. Hypothetical situation. But you get to the next stop and you walk in. And you are a little late. No one has any idea what you've gone through to get there. And yet look is on their face of like, oh, and they, maybe somebody says it. Oh, well, glad you showed up. We can eat now, right? We see where our family priority lies with your family priorities. And it's in that moment in your head, you're like, I'm going to kick over a Christmas tree. I'm going to kick that bowl of punch right off the table and just give everybody in here a little piece of my mind, right? And it's the, it's the idea that, no, there, there's something about this joy that's growing in my life. And there's something about this gentle forbearance that I'm learning to practice that says, no, I'm not going to do that. Right? There's, there's, there's all kinds of things around this time of year that can squeeze us, that can put pressure on our life. It could be financial pressure. Maybe, it's, maybe you're on the end of having to host a lot of those parties and the stress and all that. Maybe it's dealing with different family issues. Some of you are really struggling this morning. Some of you are going through some Serious difficulty. Some of you, may, some of you have to go to a funeral this week. There's some of you who the doctor just told you the words that you you, you did not want to hear, that you were, were afraid that you would hear. You have cancer. Some of you found out recently that your spouse has heart disease. Some of you lost a job and you have no idea what you're going to do. Some of you feel painfully lonely and there's something about this time of year and there's so much to celebrate and there's so much fun but it's also a time of year where you're reminded about someone who you loved who's no longer with you. And I want to remind you this morning I want you to know this you're allowed to feel that emotion you're allowed to feel that pain but what I want to remind you of is the joy of the Lord is something that can override and underride any emotion across the human emotion spectrum. And I want to remind you this morning that in your pain, that if you're a Christian in Jesus, that you've been given the gift of great joy in your life. And what that means is that it, is, no matter how overwhelmed you feel this morning, if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you're feeling like everything's coming undone, what it means in Christ Jesus is you don't have to come undone. It means that when our circumstances are unraveling around us and in our life, we, we don't have to unravel. It means that when you lose everything, you don't have to lose heart because you can never lose the joy of the Lord because your joy is secure in Him, in Jesus. Hallelujah. What Paul calls us to in verse 5, what he's talking about with all of that is he calls it reasonableness and gentle forbearance. It's the idea that deep, unshakable, gospel-gritty joy coming to the surface and showing itself in real situations. And what did he say? He said, let it be known to everybody. Let that reasonableness be known to everyone. It should be part of our Christian witness. It should be something that people 
look in our lives when we're in seasons of suffering and they go, you should be freaking out right now. You should be coming unraveled right now. You should be losing it, but you're not. And you're like, no, I'm not going to lose it. And here's why. It's not anything about me. It's because of the joy of the Lord. Last month, a dear member of our church, Mashiri Updike, went home to Jesus. And I can honestly say that one of the most joyful people I've ever been around is Sherry. You know, myself, along with many of you, even in this room, were able to spend time with her, some time in her most difficult days of her life. It's a brutal thing to see someone battle and fight a terminal illness. Some of you have been there. It's a brutal thing to watch. She lost her ability to get out and about. She lost the ability to travel. Her and Fred loved, loved to travel. I mean, really the world. She spent the majority of her time in the last few months of her life in a bed. She lost a lot. She was in a situation where the world would look at that and go, hey, not a whole lot circumstantially to, to be joyful about. And yet, I'm telling you, I witnessed it in that window. I'm talking about that window of her life, that window of intense suffering of her life. And I'm comparing, I'm comparing her in that window of her life to, to anybody and everybody that I've experienced and seen in all seasons of life. The ups and the downs. Me seeing her and being a witness to what I saw in her life in that window of her life, that window of suffering compared to anybody else I've ever seen is the most joyful person that I've ever had the honor and privilege of being around. I'd walk, in, I'd walk into their house, and I'm talking about deep into the suffering. I'd walk into her house, and without fail, I'd always say, How you doing, Miss Sherry? How are you? Oh, she wouldn't even let me get out, get out of my mouth. How are you doing? Always a smile on her face. How are you doing? How's Rebecca doing? How are the kids doing? Isn't God good? Isn't He worthy? I can't, oh, I can't wait to get back to church. I'd do anything to get back to church. I never heard her, I never heard her talk about herself as a victim. I never heard her complain about what was happening in her life. And we live in a world that looks at something like that and is perplexed. It just doesn't make sense. How is she joyful? See, she's losing everything in this world that the world would, would, would consider to be something you'd find joy in. What is there to be joyful about? But see, here's the thing that so many people in the world don't understand. Her joy wasn't in anything in the world. Her joy was found in Christ. And that internal joy, the joy of the Lord, was becoming visible. And this is what floored me. As I was honored, as an honor and privilege to walk alongside that family through those, through those days, is that internal joy that she had, that joy of the Lord. Listen, it's not just that it was maintained and sustained through that season of suffering. It grew stronger. It grew stronger. And her reasonableness was seen by everyone who was around her. It wasn't manufactured. She was demonstrating a spirit-empowered, gospel-rooted, gritty joy that was spilling out of her heart and out of her life and into the lives of other people in her darkest of days. And I'm telling you, it made a lasting impact on a lot of people's lives. It's something this young pastor will never forget. She could have been bitter, she could have complained, but she chose to find her joy in Jesus. 
And I want to challenge you with that thought right there. Because isn't it true that as you age, you don't tend to drift into more godliness? You don't tend to drift into more godly living. She chose at one point in her life to be every single day a rejoicer. She chose that she's going to find her joy in Jesus. Not look for her joy in her circumstances, but look for her joy in her Savior, which is a great reminder for us that joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a commitment. It's not based on feelings. It's a choice that's based on our relationship with God. It's a discipline. We got to cho- we gotta choose to be rejoicers. All right? I got two uh, quick points as we uh, begin to finish this up. And these are really important. Command of joy. The demonstration of joy. And the third point this is morning that we see in this text is the perspective of joy. How do... Because here's the question. How do we maintain that kind of joy? What's the key? Well, it's found in verse 5. I think... A main key is found in verse 5. In that phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the return of Jesus. A couple verses back, it says in chapter 3, verse 20, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're reading from the NIV this morning, it'll say we eagerly await. We eagerly await that. For the Christian, there should be this eager, this longing for Jesus. Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back and make the wrongs right. Right? There should be an eagerness, a longing in us to want to see Jesus to come back soon. Right? Christmas is a time we should think about that. Christmas is a time where we're identifying with and and thinking about those Old Testament saints who are looking forward, anticipating the first coming of Jesus and celebrating that. We get to look back on it. And then we're, we have our own anticipation. We're longing for the second coming of Christ. For the second Christmas. And so we get this gift. Do you realize we're, we're, this gift from God to live in the church age where we get to live between those two arrivals? And as disciples, as Christians, born-again Christians, who get to exist between those two arrivals, we saw Jesus came. God said he'd send his son, and he did just that. And he doesn't break his promises. And Jesus came. And he came to save our soul. And through his finished work on the cross, as we look back and believe on what he did, it'll save your soul. And we celebrate that, but we also look forward to the day that He comes back and brings complete peace to the earth and complete peace to our life. And living between those two arrivals, what that means is that we should be people of great hope, people of great peace, people of great joy, all right? as we long for His return. And it's in that longing that gives us this perspective of joy. One day Jesus is coming back. Amen. And I want you to imagine... I, It's a real day that's going to happen. And I want you to know, even if you don't believe, even if you don't, you're here and you're kind of checking this out and I'm not sure about all this, I do want you to know this, that regardless of what, we believe this, we we stand on God's word, regardless of what your thoughts are, make no mistake, one day Jesus will return and every eye, every heart, every person will be aware that he's doing that, just that. He's not coming in the quietness of a night to be laid in a manger in an obscure town outside of Jerusalem. It's going to tear the sky in two and everyone will be aware that Jesus has returned. It is going to happen. I want you to imagine that day for a moment, believer, when you, when you see him, because you're going to see him, 
And you're going to see him sit, seated on that glorious throne. And I want you to imagine that moment when, when, he, when, your, when your eyes lock with his eyes. With his compassionate, merciful eyes. And you're going to stand there before him. You're going to stand there before your king seated on his throne. In all of his authority, in all of his power. And there you are. He's going to know everything about you. There you are with your life laid bare before him. And if you're in Christ, what he's going to do is he's going to say to you, believer, your name's written down in the book. You trusted in me and you trusted in my atoning work. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And on that day, all the wrongs will be made right. On that day, all uh, he's going to restore bodies back to their original glorified state. He's going to restore this earth back to its original design. He's going to restore all the broken relationships. He's going to heal them, make them whole. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to heal every disease. And he's going to usher in joy unimaginable throughout all of existence of the new heavens and the new earth and in your life as a believer, as you experience the unhindered fellowship and presence of Jesus Christ. Now listen. In that moment, remember this. That's happening. In that moment, remember this. That the time, in that moment, that the time that you got overlooked for that promotion isn't going to be all that significant. That in that moment, that that friend who stabbed you in the back, who betrayed you, it's not going to feel all that significant. That in that moment, whatever the deepest pains were that you experienced in this life because of the brokenness of the world that you experience, those that you've lost, that divorce that you never dreamed you'd have to go through, but tore you apart, that, that cancer that, that ravages people's body, in that moment, it will all be faint memories as you're enthralled with the presence of God and swept away with joy unimaginable. Joy unending, unspeakable joy. That's the hope we have in Jesus. That's the hope we have in Jesus. That's why we can be joy-filled people this morning. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. Joy of the Lord. And this is what's really awesome about it. You know what it is? It's available for anybody. The command of joy, the demonstration of joy, the perspective of joy. The availability of joy. Back in Luke 2, in verse 10, do you remember what it says? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for some people, for all people. Think about that moment when Jesus is born. That is a big moment. That's a big moment in the history of the universe. That's a big moment in redemption, redemptive history. Since Genesis 3, the world has been awaiting the announcement that the Savior, that the Messiah has been born. And that's the moment that it happens. It's time to announce to the world that Jesus has been born. This is the moment the angels are ready for. They're waiting for it. And here God, it's time. And God says, all right, guys. Y'all, y'all ready to head down and let the world know that the Savior has been born and, and the angels, I can only imagine, like, yes, just tell us where. I want you to go right there. What is, that can't be right. It looks like you're pointing it to some obscure shepherds down there in a the field. That can't be right. And you may be wondering, well, it confused as to why that'd be surprising to 
angels or to anybody in that culture. But in those cultures, if you're a shepherd, you are a nobody. If you were a shepherd, you were outcast. Your testimony wasn't even permissible in court. You were considered really an untouchable. You were considered in the same category as a tax collector or a leper. You were despised. You were seen as a religious reject. And I want you to know something, that shepherds are not part of this story simply because they were in closest proximity to the stable that night. The closest group that you know, could find out where Jesus was and travel quickly to see him. No, it was intentional. They were the first ones to hear this incredible message to communicate throughout all of eternity that Jesus came to save the broken and the messed up and the outcast sinner. And you know who that is? That's you and that's me. It's the good news that Jesus comes for the rich and the poor for the powerful and the weak, for the Jew and the Gentile, for the educated and the uneducated. This is Jesus. This is the message. This is the gospel. This is the good news we celebrate at Christmas. It's joy available for all people. You know, I've wondered something this week about that night. As they're there on that hillside and the supernatural breaks into the natural and the angel is there. That was an intense moment. They were literally scared to death. Some of you are like, God, I pray that you'd show me an angel. Just be careful when you pray that. Like every time somebody sees an angel that we read about in Scripture, they think they're going to die. It must be an intense situation. It's not going to be like, oh, cute little angel. Oh, come here, let me get a selfie with you, angel. It's an intense moment. And here these shepherds are laid face down to the earth. And the angels say, hey, lift your head, fear not. Y'all don't need to be scared. I'm not bringing you a message of destruction. That's probably what they're expecting. I come to bring you good news. Specifically, what I come to bring you is good news of what? Great joy. Good news of great joy that a Savior has been born to save even shepherds like you. And I wonder what the shepherds were expecting to find. Don't you wonder that? Like, they were Jews. They had an understanding that a Messiah, that a king was, was coming to, to bring great joy. They've been looking for a king. So I wonder what those shepherds, who are literally a half click away from being homeless, as they heard about good news of great joy, this great joy that was available to them. I wonder if they thought, well, hey, what are we going to get? What is this going to mean for us? This must mean everything's going to change for us. And yet nothing about their circumstances changed. And what happens is they run through those fields and they find that stable and they walk in and they go over to that feeding trough and they look at that baby. And what happened is in that moment, they met Jesus. And in that moment, what that means is they met joy. And the Bible says they returned glorifying God, filled with joy. And yet none of their circumstances had changed. But yet everything in their life had. Because they collided with the gospel. And there in the presence of Jesus, their sorrow had been traded for joy. That's what you get when you come to Jesus. You get a deep, unshakable joy. Rooted in the knowledge, the position that I have as a Christ follower, as a child of God... And the understanding that Jesus is enough. 
That's what I get in my relationship with Christ, the gift of His joy. And if you're here this morning and you're in Christ and you say, you know what, I have that joy, I have that deep gladness in my soul, I know it's there that can endure all circumstances, then I want to encourage you this morning to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of your circumstances. I didn't say be happy. Happiness is when the ball goes through the hoop. Happiness is when your team wins. Happiness is when you get all the traffic lights turning green for you tomorrow morning when you're headed to work. Happiness comes, it's an emotion that comes and goes based on our circumstances. The joy of the Lord is not based on your circumstances. It's rooted in my position as a child of God and in the satisfaction of knowing that Jesus is enough. If you don't know Jesus, here it is, you don't know joy. You don't know joy. And what we want to do for you this Christmas is invite you to come to Jesus. And what we're doing is we're inviting you to come and receive good news of great joy. Let's pray.